0: Of a sermon series called A Church After God's Own Heart. This morning we're going to learn that a church after God's own heart is a church that recognizes that their money is actually God's money. Your money is actually God's money. In today's message we're going to see that each one of us have been called to be God's money managers. And he calls us to save, to spend, but uniquely to give it away. And so children of God, Just as a reminder, I'm a messenger of your father and I'm just bringing him your word saying this is what your father desires of you. And to miss out on this would to be missing out on cheerful giving. We read the verses earlier so that your hearts would be softened. And to recognize that the father is the one who desires for you to steward his money well. And the heart of the father is a good father. He has your and I's best interest at heart. He's informed us the past two years through the preaching of God's word of his design Sunday after Sunday since we started in that barn. And it's led up to this moment and today is designated by God's design for us to talk about his design for his money. So with that mindset, let's get into what God has to say about your hard-earned money. And whether you give to this church or whether you do not, I don't know. Frankly, that's between you and the Father But the the focus of this message is genuinely that by the end of this, God, by his spirit, will have softened our grips on his money and that we would be open to be generous vessels and conduits of his. Y'all ready to get into it? Let's go. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns everything. He is creator of everything. Everything both the seen and the unseen things, and he owns it all. It would be a massive blessing if we truly believe this as a church. Actually, John Wesley, an English evangelist from the Methodist movement, he got this. Here's a story I'll share with you. One night, a man delivered bad news to him. He told John that his home had burned down. This is not a fairy tale. His home had burned down. John waited a while, Then spoke up, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. My prayer is that we would receive the revelation of ownership that John had. That we would recognize not just in our mind, but feel it in our hearts, that everything that we possess is actually God's. In fact, if you have said yes to Jesus, he owns you. He owns me. We in scripture are called slaves to righteousness, which actually is freedom not to sin. It's a good thing. And not just that, but when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to everything that he desires for us. And we do this in other arenas. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes this in regards to our body. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. God owns our bodies. The temple of the living God is us. He takes resident in us. Therefore, we give him permission to do with our bodies whatever he desires for us to do, amen? And for this, he says, my body, meaning your body's church, my body will not indulge in sexual sin. It is set apart and sanctified by the blood of Christ. And that's true of God's money as well. He owns our money as well. Haggai, too, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And if you think, well, I've earned that money, That's my money. The Bible has something to say to us. Deuteronomy 8. But remember the Lord your God. Remember him. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Even your ability to produce wealth is his. Therefore, you can trace it back and say, it's your money, God. It's your money, Father. And as his money managers, we have to take this seriously. If if our money is actually God's money... That makes us his money managers. And as his money managers, we look at the book of Proverbs to see that he calls us to save, to give, and to spend. This morning I want to teach on the giving aspect of being a money manager of God. The reason I'm going to do this is because... The giving aspect of being a money manager of God is actually the most difficult. I'll share why a little bit later, but let's get into giving. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then, then, if then promise, he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. As God's money managers, honor God with his money by giving it back to him. This passage was written to the Old Covenant people of God, Israel. Israel were commanded to give a tithe to Yahweh of their harvest that they received. And that was their livelihood. A tithe is a 10%. And this was the first thing that Jews did when they actually got in their income. So that was the first thing they did. Uh, The equivalent today would be you getting your paycheck, setting aside 10%, and then allocating that to be given out to a Christ-honoring ministry in the Old Covenant, the money that they would end up tithing to the Lord, which would be even more in certain years, was meant to go to the Levitical priests and their livelihood. Today, that would be the equivalent of giving money to CLB to advance and pour into ministries here that are a part of this church and to the livelihood of those who are on full staff. And some of y'all are being like, oh, we're getting Just wait with me. Just wait with me. Wait with me. One of God's purposes in this and why he was calling Israel to give 10%, their first, their best 10% of their crop was first because he wanted his kingdom to be backed financially with resources. It was crop for them then. It's money for us as our currency now. And the second part, which was just as important, was Yahweh wanted to test the Jews' hearts. Were they going to serve money or were they going to serve God? Were they going to serve money or were they going to serve Yahweh, money managers? The command for giving your money away back to God still carries over to today. I wish I didn't have this mic. My hands would be going all over the place. He wants us to give back his money into ministries that are Christ-focused, advance the cause of Christ and advance his kingdom of light, we have to put on the mind of Christ and realize that the money given to us, that we steward, we have to be investors of. Investing and discerning and praying, Father, where do you want your money to be invested into? And at this part of the sermon, I don't expect you to be throwing your wallets at me. I don't expect you to be excited to be giving to the church. And that's perfectly fine. And one of the reasons why is because there is a unique temptation that we have with our money. Look with me. First Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy here. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money is a good, good thing created by God. It's our hearts wanting money for bad purposes that are the issue. It's our hearts with money that are the issue. Money is a unique part. Why? Because it's a possession that continues to buy other possessions and increases our lifestyle. Who wouldn't want a better lifestyle? It's the reason why you're in this school district if you're from Bennington. It's the reason why you went from the hood to the suburbs up in West Omaha. No one's going to argue with that. And it ends up bringing us even more things like influence in other words, it gets us, it gets us an appeal to our humanity. And here's the appeal. It's an appeal. What money can do is an appeal and get you the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. But I think that there is an, under, underneath it, I think there's a deeper issue of why we want to hold on to God's money that we've earned. And it is this. It is the illusion that earth is our permanent home. The illusion that earth, for real, is our permanent home. Hebrews 11 tells us that we are foreigners, we are sojourners, that we are nomads just passing through this life. And that one day, our true residence, we will see. In all of its glory, we will be residents of heaven. And after our last breath, we'll be in paradise. And then we'll transition into a new heaven and a new earth to live forever. And this heaven and this new earth is going to be glorious And it's going to be without sin. Randy Alcorn, an American author and bestseller on books about heaven, has this to say about heaven. I'm going to share it because it gets me excited. There's some ambiguity, but there are some certainties. And there's some things we have to fill in. And this is the picture he paints of the future for those who have trusted Christ and the new heaven and the new earth. The new earth will be a far better version of the old earth, but with the same essential components. Heaven is both a country and a city. And now he's going to deduce from this what you can expect if, we, if the scriptures call it a, a uh, country and a city. A country is typically a large territory of various geographies with citizens of diverse cultures and vocations, sometimes even languages under one government that provides a common identity. A city, which the new heaven and the new earth will have, New Jerusalem is a place of many residences in near proximity. Cities usually have varied and bustling activity, community events, education, arts, and visitors. Heaven is a place of great beauty, both naturally created beauty and architecture, including streets of gold and buildings of pearls and emeralds and precious stones. Heaven will have the advantages we associate with earthly cities without the disadvantages. Heaven's gates are always open. People will travel in and out. Some bringing treasures into the city. We'll rest from our labors on earth, but that doesn't mean constant inactivity. We're told that we'll bring. We're told we will be reigning with Christ and serving Him. That means we'll have plenty to do, but heaven's labor will be refreshing, productive, unthwarted, without futility and frustration. We will eat and drink and celebrate at the table with Christ and the redeemed saints from earth communicating and fellowshipping and storytelling and rejoicing with them in other words life after this is going to be beautiful and yet it's going to be similar in the best ways you aren't going to be some disembodied spirit for the rest of eternity floating with baby angels that have harps it is going to look like this in many ways but with new bodies and without sin and why does this matter church It's because we can store up treasures in heaven for us to enjoy later by our giving now. We can store up treasures for us to enjoy later for eternity by our giving and our living now. Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to uh, a group of religious leaders and he says this. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven Jesus was pointing out the connection between our giving now and the treasures that we can store up in heaven for us to enjoy later. The Bible reveals that God is a generous God who gives rewards. And you'll see on the slide here, there are a few, and a few I kept out, rewards that are given for those who give money specifically. And there are others, scripturally, that that are rewards that we get for praying and not letting anyone know about it or being obedient in other types of ways. But overall, what you'll see in the scriptures as you read about treasures in heaven is just the title. It's just treasures in heaven. Treasures for us to enjoy later on. And so all we see is the title. And he, God keeps it kind of cloaked for a purpose. I think it's because he wants us to anticipate what we're going to see and for us to have our minds blown by not knowing exactly what it looks like. It's as though God wants to build anticipation like the preview of a movie, just getting us enough to entice us to generous living. Child of God, by clinging to money that isn't ours, we forego the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. If you believe in a resurrected Christ, it's not so far-fetched that that he died for our sins, was God, it's not so far-fetched for us to believe that one day we're going to live in heaven forever. And you may be thinking, isn't it wrong that our motivation would be rewards? And for that, I would say, if it was wrong, Jesus would not have given us this as our motivation. Our motivations to give should be both because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and because of eternal rewards in heaven. Rewards are his idea. It's not Roy's. It's not former pastors from the past Although there may be some rewiring that may be happening even right now in your midst of how money should be handled, giving for eternal rewards is from Christ. And it's amazing how generous God is. Over 90 times is treasures in heaven referenced in terms of a reward that we get for us being obedient to Christ or giving of our possessions. Over 90 times. Isn't that generous of God? He not only bought you. Away from the dominion of darkness and the slavery to sin. He also gave you a heaven in which you'll never have to have aching joints. You know what I'm talking about, Bill Springer? (laughs) He also gave you a heaven in which you will experience no suffering or no sin anymore. And he also has given you treasures to enjoy in heaven forevermore. We'll not only get union, but treasures. Randy Alcorn, again, calls it living for the line versus living for the dot. You'll see up here. The dot represents our short time on earth. It starts, it begins, it's brief, and the line represents eternity. And eternity is infinitely longer, and it never ends. And the question is, church, are we living with the decisions that we're making with money with a short-term, temporary, earthly view or an eternal perspective? With a short-term perspective or an eternal perspective in how we're treating God's money as his money managers. The person who's living for the dot are living for treasures that will end up in junkyards. The person who is living for the line lives for treasures that will never end. We can keep earthly treasures and enjoy them for the moment, but if we give them away, we will get to experience and enjoy them forever. Jim Elliott, a former missionary, says it this way. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Giving is not about you losing something. It's about you gaining something, church. And that's rewards in heaven. Lastly, as God's money managers, I just want to answer a few questions that may guide our giving as sons and daughters of the most high. First one is the tithe the command to follow today. Jesus validated the tithe in the gospels. Look at look with me Matthew 23. He's speaking to religious leaders and he says this, you should tithe. Yes. But do not neglect the more important things. He's talking to religious leaders and he's saying, yes, I'm affirming you should give God's money back to him through the tithe. But there's a more important thing, and that's actually showing justice, mercy, and faith. But he does not divorce the two. He says both and. There's no mention after the Gospels to affirm or to rescind the tithe. The last thing you will hear from this pulpit is for us to be legalistic and for us to tell you that you have to tithe. So I want, to focus, I, I want to focus on what the scriptures in the new covenant focus on. And the focus is generous grace giving, not the 10%. And you may be thinking to yourself, oh Lord, thank you, I'm off the hook. He just said that it's not mandatory for me to have the 10% tithe. Hold on with me, hold on with me. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, But the one who plants generously will give a generous crop, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who who gives cheerfully. And God will reluctantly provide all you need. God does not want you to be a reluctant giver of his money. He cares about your attitude in giving just as much as what you actually give. His focus is on the attitude. But notice that in this text... Paul's not divorcing generous giving. It's actually generosity that sandwiches his, uh, the importance of him teaching on our attitude to give. It's generous giving up top and generous giving on bottom, and it's a promise that God will backfill a child of God's generous giving. Whether it be by the same amount that you gave, whether it be by a surplus of finances down the road, or whether it be by other means that are even more meaningful, or whether it be by giving you an attitude that stops tripping about the money that's coming in whatever it is God is faithful and gen- and generous and he will promise to backfill amen the better question to ask the father about your money about his money is this father how much do you want me to give how much do you want me to give randy alcorn says this whether or not the tithe is still the minimal measure or those first fruits, I ask myself, does God expect his new covenant children to give less or more? The tithe was commanded for the old covenant people of God who were looking forward to Christ's resurrection and his sacrifice without the Holy Spirit. We, on the new covenant side of things, look back in worship of God's sacrifice with his Holy Spirit. You tell me whether we should give more money or not you tell me. Randy Alcorn ends up giving us wisdom in that. He also says this, the tithe isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's just the starting blocks. Tithes can be training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving, which is giving so much that it makes you joyful. The percentage of each one of your giving is between you and God, but it is wise, as his money manager's, being bought again by his blood to reconsider whether to have your giving be below or the starting point at 10%, which was a mandatory for the old covenant people. Remember, it's his money. Child of God, it is his money that we are stewarding. It's time to sit at a table across from your spouse, look over the finances and ask the Holy Spirit, how much should we give away? How much can we live on is even a good question. How much do you want us to save? God, this is your money. It's time to sit down and say, Holy Spirit, what ministry do you want us to support? This is your money. It's time to worship God with our pocketbooks. When he baptized you in his spirit, he baptized your checkbook as well. And as a friend of mine once said, some of us need a DTR with our money. That's a determine the relationship. You need to pull up that chair and you need to put your wallet down and say, money, you listen to me. I'm, determ- I'm defining the relationship. You serve me and I serve God. And I will serve God with you. Wouldn't be the worst thing that you ever did this week. City Light, the pastors, we have no clue who gives. And we want to keep it that way because it's between you and the Father. But what we do see come in is the budget per month, and we wanna say thank you for your generosity. For those of you who are giving, I wanna say thank you for real, because all of this is covered, our livelihoods are covered on staff, and we get to actually start ministries, and the amount of time that goes in with starting, for instance, the prophetic workshop, and praying into that, researching that, uh, studying those things, and then running it, all of that takes time we would not have if we were not fully dedicated To this church. So I want to say thank you for all of your generous donations. It goes a long way. And seeing as it is uh, Pastors Month, October, I know that none of y'all actually knew that. In order to honor the pastors, we are going to walk down, stewards are going to pass a plate, and we would love to get generous donations to celebrate our pastors. Now I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I saw someone back there being like, "Mm, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. We won't do that to you. You know that's not a part of our culture. For those of you who have not let Jesus run your life, he doesn't want your money, honey. He wants your heart. He wants all of who you are. He doesn't want you to experience. He wants you to experience him as your treasure. He wants you to experience him as your first love. And you're missing out in a relationship with a father in heaven who can give you something that you could never buy with money. And that is love, joy, and peace. That is a hope in knowing the living God. Church, let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for this word that you gave me to receive, softening my heart, God to receive this word, to be generous in all the financial responsibilities you've given me. And God, in this church, would you please soften the hearts here this morning that we would be good money managers as sons and daughters of yours. In Jesus' name, amen.